Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is The Movies That Made Me with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. Celine, thank you. Thank you for joining us. I know we're on a tight. We have to get you out of here at 12.15, so we'll... Uh, talk fast. Uh, and we got, yeah, talk fast. <laughs> you know, just tell us 10 movies you like, and then we'll just move on. I'm sure that's it. But. <laughs> you know, that won't happen. I'm so excited for this interview. <laughs> well, congratulations, on, congratulations on Past Lives. It's a, it's a, thank it's, you so much. It's a lovely movie. And, and those of us who have first movies that are much less good than yours are very jealous. <laughs> <laughs> that is so nice. That's the nicest thing you could say. It is. So it's insane. Although she comes from theater, which no, no, so, I know she's so, got a good yeah. theatrical background. But you know, your first movie is your first. <laughs> it's your first movie. I mean, you're you're learning on the job. Yeah. You know? There's okay. just, but my my favorite, and we 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 won't because we don't. And I'm sure you're sick of talking. You know, maybe you're not, but you've been talking about this film constantly, and mm. um, and we don't we don't tend to uh, harass our guests too much by making them talk about their own work, but. There, there is a scene in that film where it's just two characters standing what are they, a couple feet apart looking at each other while they wait for a, an Uber. That is just some of the most powerhouse acting and, and uh, working with actors I've ever seen. And it's just people standing there. And it's, um, uh, I, I knew nothing about you going in, and I was much relieved to find you had a, a theater experience that you didn't just sort of <laughs> come to this skill magically. Of course, but uh, so much oh nice. my god, that that scene is incredible. Um, I mean, the film the film is is just wonderful, but that that scene killed me, and I uh, I I, I, I want to ask you all kinds of questions about how many takes you did and how long it went, but that's that's not <laughs> what we do here. Um, anyway, our guest, we're very very excited. He's haven't figured it out. We have got the writer-director of Past Lives, uh, Academy Award-nominated Past Lives, um, Celine Song. And um, we are very, very excited to have you. And she is is sort of, uh, she's jamming us in in between quote-unquote real interviews. So... um, (laughs) (laughs) What are you talking about? I've been so excited about this interview. All I want to do is talk about the movies that made me, you know? Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, we like to think it's a nice break in between all the... um, Yes. Answering, answering the same questions over and over and over again, <laughs> yes. um, which is uh, why we try to avoid asking you too many questions. But yeah, let's just jump in. Did, did, did you, um, um, it was wonderful. I, I, I got your list. Sometimes when we deal with people sort of through representatives, it can take a minute or two to kind of explain the concept. And then there could be days and days and days where we're waiting for them. And I think, you know, we, 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 we got your list almost immediately. And it was just clear looking at it that there was like excitement here. Which is great. Is it? Are these simply ten movies that that you loved? Were they movies that kind of fed your desire to direct? Or are they just um, the first ten that popped into your head as you sat down? That's <laughs> well, I think that these are the movies that made me want to make movies, right? right. I think those yeah. are the kind of movies that made me just think about the people who are making these movies and what could be possible. And I think it always uh, stretched my. Uh, stretch my soul a little bit or stretch something in me a little bit that makes me feel like, well, if that's possible, then uh, what are you uh, worried about, right? <laughs> what are you afraid of if you think that these movies are possible? So that's really yeah. how I feel about these movies. Yeah. Well, that's a wonderful way to put it. Yeah, because all of them. Well, let's, let's just jump in. Are they in an order here or do you want to? Um, Joe, by the way, I should tell you, we never tell Joe what's on the list. So he, I'm always he comes surprised. In. Really? I'm always he surprised. likes to be surprised. He likes to be surprised. He wants, he wants and occasionally horrified. 
But uh, <laughs> I, I am curious, did you see most of these films in theaters or did you see the most on uh, tapes and uh, DVDs and things? I think all of them in are uh, in a movie theater. Oh, bless you. Uh, bless your little heart. I mean, <laughs> she's, but I, she's a movie person, Joe. <laughs> a movie person. But I think that I do think that uh, Dog Tooth, I think I saw years later, and Cachet I saw years later. Um, in a, you know, uh, which I think was just like just on my big screen. But I think most of the all the other ones I did see in a movie theater. Right. Um, yeah. I was like, well, do you want to just grab one and start and let's talk about it? Do you want me to right. feed them to you or how, how do you want to? Yeah. I mean, the, it's not in a specific order. It's okay. in the order of like, uh, you know, like, because I think that I could have tried to order it, but I think that I wanted it to feel like, I don't know, like, a, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't totally know what the order is, but it's kind of like making a play, musical playlist right. where it's like, I don't know why, but the rhythm of one thing leading to the other has to work. Right. Yep. You know, so, so it was like a, it was like a vibe, you know, I <laughs> completely get it. And you can put it on <laughs> random play and it would be uh... exactly, exactly. <laughs> you got it. Well, since, since you've already given away, uh, the, let's, can, why don't we start with, with, with Dogtooth, um, Jorgos Lanthimos film, not, not really his first film, I guess, but the first one that kind of cracked over here. And, um, you so say you saw it, you saw it later after its release. Is that mm-hmm. I saw it after its release, um, but and I think that um, the I, I watched it, and the thing that I had a really strong feeling about is the way it was so completely theatrical. And of course, it's in Yorgos uh, has a theatrical background, and it really shows in that film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And part of the experimentation around language was so uh, so so intensely theatrical to me that. I think that that really showed me some kind of a path that I can hold on to the things that I adore about theater and uh, move into filmmaking. And I think there's something about that that really kind of opened up the possibility for that. And beyond that, I think that um, I'm always really interested in fascism and depicting fascism and in a way that fascism is uh, works through our lives in ways that are uh, both uh, invisible and toxic and also like open and naked and i think mm-hmm. that there's something about uh there is a the fundamentally a dog tooth is about fascism i think most of yorgos's work is about fascism but dog tooth is very much about living in a fascist society and everything i read about fascism and living in a fascist society and uh the literature film all of that the truth is that the the heart of those uh issues are actually in that movie because mm. Uh, those children in that film are like the children who, uh, like like the citizens in a fascist state, right? And the whole world is uh, built on lies. And you call things, I think there's a moment where a chair is called an ocean, right? Right, right, yes, names. all that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's a way that um, different, uh, your reality is completely warped because of the rules that are set yeah. by the those in power. And I think that it, it just, I don't know, I felt um, such electricity in this like a very uh, theatrical uh, movie about the way that lies, uh, uh, lies build a fascist society, right? And of course, what it's going to result in is either you flee or there is an act of violence, right? And I think you, you would see that every fascist society deals with the same end. It either ends in just a massive uh, violent act or it ends in uh, everybody running away right <laughs> yeah if if you have a place to run to <laughs> yes we're we're actually <laughs> we're actually all dealing with that right now yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's so funny um yeah and i did you uh, did you come to that um i mean did you you say you came to it later was it because you had seen some of his other films since then or we're kind of going back or did you just kind of stumble across it on video no i think that it was just my husband's recommendation i think i was starting to see my husband (laughs) we were starting to see each other and i think it's a movie that he's like we should see this movie and i would say that's also true by cachet yeah Yeah. yes well it's actually yeah it's a cachet michael uh uh who um I have to say a small amount. Of, I actually, I have no resentment at all. But he, um, he won the Palm Door the year we were there with History of Violence, and uh, 
I actually, I actually thought he deserved. But there's no it. resentment. <laughs> there are, no, no, no. I'm he fine with Jonas. Every, fine with song, song, but yeah. every other episode, there are there are people Love involved. It. There are people involved with the history of violence who are not so sanguine about. Uh, mm-hmm. I get Woody. it. I'm, oh yeah, <laughs> this stuff is competitive, you guys. I'm learning all about it. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, I'm actually not. competitive. Uh, I, I, I will say it. I have no idea. I mean, I don't know. You know, the, the the one year is up. All the advice I can give you is just like having having you know been up for the for the writing thing was was I just made a point of having a great time going on the ride, and I operated on the assumption that I was going to lose. And you know, the notion that somehow you have failed by only being nominated for an Oscar. Um, <laughs> so wild <laughs> there are people who think that way and you've probably already so met wild. some and it's uh, yes yes i have <laughs> i literally I, just, I know someone who i'd gotten to know during this whole tour walked out finally after the oscars and there's been a whole bunch of other awards things ever and and walked out having not won and was just like well what's the goddamn point <laughs> <laughs> oh my god Oscar nominee. Of course, yeah. Oscar nominee. Yeah, hopeless. <laughs> yes, I've carried that mark the rest of my life. I'm going to think uh, of it forever. I'm going to think of it forever. I should have stayed working at the 7-Eleven. That would have been it. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, enough about okay, Mike. Right? But yes, but Cache, yeah, what a, what a movie. And and that's also one you saw on video. Mm-hmm. That, that, well, uh, it's because I saw uh, Amour. Um, in the movie theater, and then I think that, uh, and then when my this was again the uh, uh, my husband's wreck, and he was the one who was like, oh, I mean, you you haven't seen Cache, are you out of your mind a little bit? <laughs> and then I was like, of course, like, oh my god, am I out of my mind? And I went to I watched it, and I think we uh, watched it probably on a Criterion channel in the in the in just on the screen, um, and then I think that. Uh, course it just completely shifted the way that i think about uh what a movie can do um Mm. because i think that's something that i felt so connected to and it is the mystery Mm -hmm. right and actually there's such room for mystery in cinema um which is of course contrasted with so many movies where um the message and the story and everything is uh as loud as the times square right (laughs) as as big and vivid and loud as the times square but by actually holding on to a little bit of mystery, the way that it can get under your skin. I was thinking about that movie forever. Like I was, mm-hmm. I was always thinking about that movie. I was thinking about that movie while I was uh, making this movie, making past lives. Because sometimes the thing that is unsaid or a thing that is uh, unseen is going to reveal more about uh, the truth of the matter and the yeah. things that you do see. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the, and of course the film is called Hidden. And I think the way that you're able to hide and reveal uh, truths and also uh, hide and reveal emotions, I think uh, really informs so much about how I think about uh, making movies. Um, And again, I'm sure you can see a theme here. It's like I am really interested in uh, metaphors uh, or the kind of representation of uh, of some kind of uh, just exertion of power the the fascism of it or something like that because you see the way that uh, violence works through uh, these people's lives and the way that we deny violence the way we act like it doesn't exist the way we hide it but also to and also hide it from ourselves right beyond hiding it from the world and then to uh, have it then be revealed too because uh, uh, someone is going to uh, break Right, someone's going to break and reveal uh, that the world is not what it seems. So, of course, the theme is different, but I think the way that uh, things get hidden and revealed in it, I think, was such a big uh, language for uh, past lives, too. And I expect mm-hmm. that I'm going to be thinking about this movie forever with every single movie, because I think that there should be a mystery to uh, every film. That's what yeah. keeps you... Uh, wanting to watch it again, or you feel connected again. Well, and, and thinking about it, yeah, because because I mean, I've always said, you know, if if you walk out of a movie and everything has been, and look, I, I love genre films, and it's great they catch the bad guy and the the day is saved. But you know, if you just if you leave your audience with a question, you're you're pretty much ensuring that they're going to have to think about it and talk about it later. It just seems like, yeah. you know, it seems like good good uh, uh, commercial sense as well. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so, totally. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, well, let's, let's do, uh, oh, here, a, a movie I love. In fact, we've had uh, one of the lead actresses, uh, Pepperica Steen, was on the show a couple of years ago. Uh, the Celebration, Thomas Vinterberg. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is where you see the, uh, my background in theater. Because sure. this is like, this, this is a completely stageable uh, piece, I would say. Um, And again, this does deal in the things that are hidden and the things that are unsaid and the things that are revealed. And it's also about the way that we deny, right? The way that we deny what has happened and also the way that we live with it and the way that there's an outburst of this has happened, right? And then the inevitable response to that where you're like, well, what do you want me to do about it? Or (laughs) uh, did it really happen? Are you very reliable? Which yeah. I think is how uh, truth exists in the world, generally. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it's all happening in the in this one uh, family event setting, and I think that sometimes by crushing the whole world into a little room, mm-hmm. you can f- see how the whole world is more vividly than when you're trying to depict the whole world, right? It's beautifully so, put. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I agree entirely. It's so it's, much more uh, economical. Yeah, yes. that too. <laughs> it's so much You're so right. I think they made this movie for almost no money, and yeah. I think it's like, and I think that's what it was for. Uh, you know, when I was uh, making past lives, when we were making past lives, something that I knew is true is like, well, the whole universe and the whole time and space for this woman has to be in, uh, like, you know, the, in this one bar, right? Yeah. This one bar has to have this amazing. Um, uh, in this little space with these three people. So it's like, a, it's the smallest kind of a thing that can happen, right? And in here, then you're able to then uh, completely uh, open up the whole world for this woman. And you can have the past, the present, and the future all in one room. Yeah. yeah. And, and the thing with Celebration too, it's so, uh, I just, it's funny because a couple of these films are actually ones I went back to just recently. And, um, uh, it's one of the things I love about it is that it's such dark material and it's somehow without playing for laughs. It's also, it's screamingly funny while being deadly serious at the same time. Yes. Just totally. I don't know how he pulled that off. And it's, it's just, um, what, what an astonishing film. And I'm sure you couldn't get away with making that film over here just due to the subject matter, at least handling it this way. But, uh, yeah. And, and I guess because, there's an awareness that I, I don't know that we're inherently silly creatures. Is that it? Yes. I don't know. It's uh, could be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the whole thing is absurd, right? Cause I think yeah. that we, uh, we eat sleep and shit and that's who we are. We're just a bunch of animals, right. but we walk around like we're, uh, you know, we, whatever, you know, you know, me, like I just, you know, you go to the red carpet, you put on clothes, you know, <laughs> there's a part of it where it's all a little bit absurd. It's the, right? it's the walking on two legs thing that really. Uh, it's the walking on two legs thing. That's the, <laughs> that's the problem, right? It's also looking, looking at a monitor and talking about, you know, whatever, whatever it is, or like writing, whatever it is. So I think there is a sense of humor, even in the bleakest uh, place. And in fact, in the bleakest places, it's the absurdity of it uh, comes through. Yeah. 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 That film just, just catches it somehow. Um, uh, the next one, I'm really excited to talk to you about this one because it's bizarre. I'm a, I'm a Bob Dylan fan. Uh, I'm a Todd Haynes fan. And I've only seen this one once. I've been meaning to go back. And it left me cold. And I know people mm-hmm. love it. And I know it's me. But yeah, let's talk about, I like, I'm not there, um, which by, I got to, Joe, were you a fan of that? It seems like it might not be something that would be up your alley. No, no. I, I thought it was very interesting. Um, uh, the, That's a good word. Yes. <laughs> no, interesting. I, a, yes, a, I agree. A, not in a bad way. I mean, I, I really, I, I was entertained by it and, and I found myself trying to explicate it while I was watching it and figure out, you know, mm-hmm. what's behind the casting and what's, you know, how, who am I supposed to be looking at now? Uh, it's, it's like an experimental <laughs> film. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And this, you saw this in a theater. Yes. And are um, you, are you like a Dylanologist or were you? Uh... Well, I think this might be the key to why uh, I felt so 
into it. And maybe you didn't as much, Josh, because I am not a huge Dylan head. And I'm also like, I didn't understand Dylan until this movie. This ah, movie okay. made me understand Bob Dylan. Because I think that uh, it's, it's very interesting, isn't it? I think we're pointing to something really real. Um, well, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm too caught up the first time trying to make the connections going, wait, what is this? Why is this trying to factor it through <laughs> yeah. my understanding of him? And you're kind of being introduced in a way, which is... I'm so being kind of introduced because I feel like I've liked uh, a lot of songs, but I just have, I don't think that I've ever had that kind of a, a relationship to it. Like I know people right. who are like, Bob Dylan, Bob Dylan forever. And I know a ton of those people and I, and I adore them and I respect them for this. But also like, I was just like, everybody needs to calm down about Bob Dylan. Right. <laughs> so I was, there was a little bit of like, everybody needs to calm down. They're just folk songs. And then of course I saw I'm not there. And then I understood what is, uh, and I think that I could find it in the formalism. Like I think the kind of the formal experimentation is what taught me about who, what the soul of Bob Dylan is for me, oh, wow. right? From the way I see it, it's right? It's a good thing you didn't uh, watch. Yeah. A good thing you didn't start with Ronaldo and Clara. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, the thing is, it's like you know the. Yeah, it's so funny, but the, but I think there's something about it where it's like it is about uh, a life that is not one thing, and I think mm-hmm. that to pick to to pick the life that is not one thing. Um, is such a uh, such a powerful thing because, and I think that it's also that I um, I'm in this cusp of being the completely the internet generation and a completely mm-hmm. the analog generation. Like I am, I was born in 1988, so my generation and the people who are around my age were all dealing with this thing. Where how do we reconcile um, the postmodern uh, world that is the kind of the internet world and then also to understand what it is like that the all of culture has so far been built on which is like uh the 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 modern world or the there's kind of a uh tangibility and consistency in the way that uh art gets made right Mm -hmm. and then i think that what i realized as i was watching it is that well bob dylan is the first person who really actually uh change with the times in a way where it he actually allowed his self as an artist to shift um, and have phases right in the way that like Picasso did right so and then I started to understand uh, what a Todd Haynes wanted to depict in it and it could only be then a formalist exercise right because it's not going to be about like well he was born blah 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 and you're like no 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 actually what's going on is that like these are impressions of a of an artist who's trying to actually speak to the time that it ex- that exists at right now for him at this moment, yeah. and in doing so, he it looks like uh, he's always changing because the times are, to sorry, sorry to say, are changing. Are changing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sorry, I as I was saying it, I was like, it's embarrassing. But he did he did figure that out pretty early. He, the, uh... he figured this out. Well, he figured this out. So yeah, in that yeah. way, there is such a amazing a fluidity to his identity, and I think that that feels really ahead yeah. of its time. And in that way, like what is a what is a folk music? Well, folk music is actually meant to be of the time, but that's such a fundamental part of it. So. Who is the only, in that way, I realize that Bob Dylan is the truest uh, folk artist because uh, he has no resistance to, you know, like, because I mean, here's the thing, like, I love Bruce Springsteen and you go see Bruce Springsteen and you're like, he's been Bruce Springsteen, exactly, I know, and he's been Bruce Springsteen forever. And you go yeah. and you're like, I get to see Bruce Springsteen and he's fucking rock and roll and we we just love him and that's him. Bob Dylan, it's he's still making a new album that is yeah. of the current time, right? Yeah. That's a different kind of an artist than, yeah. you know. So I think in that way, the way that this uh, Bob Dylan has, like, to me, really explained to me what true folk music is and true folk music is for him. I felt like this, in, this nearly impossible thing was then, I think, captured by uh, Todd Haynes. And something that I feel like, if you ever want to watch it again, I think something that I found really amazing is if you just like put it on the TV and you sit in the other room and you just listen to it, just like ringing in the other mm-hmm. room, you see that the, the, the sound design in it 
and in the way that the music comes in and out of the story. That is so powerful. And it shows somebody, I mean, Todd Haynes, who understands uh, the, the shifts, who understands that truth about uh, Bob Dylan so deeply because the, the sound design and the music is flawless, right? And it feels like you sit there and you feel like you're living through Bob Dylan's life, right? And yeah. you almost don't need the, the visuals are amazing, but you don't even need the visuals. You just get to experience uh, his life and you get to feel uh, all the times that are changing of right. his life. And you see the way that this folk artist is really staying true to what being folk is, which is that um, you're making music for the now and here. Yeah. 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 Uh, no, that's fantastic. And I gotta say, it's especially with Dylan, but with a lot of a lot of folks, unless something really exciting happened in their life that's cinematic, I think someone is doing a uh, a biopic of him with I can't remember who's playing him. And and I'm I'm actually I mean, even before I talk to you, I'm actually more interested in going back and watching I'm Not There Again than I am in seeing a kind of literal biopic about Bob Dylan. That's because yeah. it's 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 his life is the least interesting thing about him. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know. Unless, I don't know, maybe he solves murders on the side. I have no idea. I, <laughs> I mean, he might, right? <clears throat> he might. He might. He's irreverent um, enough that he'll be like, sure. <laughs> well, he is. There's so many, not to, not to get off it, but there's so many, like over the years, I found out he's like, he boxes, um, which is yeah. very odd to me. He uh, he welds gates. He's a big gate yes. welder. And, and he has, and I had a friend who knew him who since passed away, and I was always hoping that it would work out. It never did. But he has a bar that he owns that um, his friends are alerted when it's going to be open. And you say the password at the door and you come in and Bob is the bartender all night. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and that, that's, uh, that's, uh, and, and he's Bob Dylan. So, <laughs> but yeah, no, that's a wonderful way to look at it. I, I, like I said, I've been looking forward to going back to it. And um, that, that was incredibly helpful. Uh, yeah, amazing. <laughs> and now that. you're a fan, is that correct? You now have like gone back and oh yeah. Now I like just yeah. like listen to it all the time. Like it truly changed my it changed my uh, whole heart around Bob Dylan. You know, and now I'm a huge fan. You know, now I understand him. I feel that's funny because yeah, it feels know. like I mean, if you told me it's like it's the most inside baseball movie ever made, and it's just for Dylan fans, I go, well, yeah, that makes sense. But but <laughs> you're saying the exact opposite. I love that. If I you ever find it. yourself yeah. in Tulsa, you should go to the Bob Dylan Center, which is a it's got all of his memorabilia, all of his giant gates that he's done, and all that stuff all in one place. And apparently, oh, cool. his his proviso was that I'll give you all this stuff as long as I never have to come here. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. <laughs> I love that. So good. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, this is why we do the show. Um, this is such a great one. But uh, we're going to take a quick break, folks, from our conversation with Celine Song, and just uh, first of all, just primarily thank you, thank you for listening to the show, thank you for supporting the show for all these years. We would not and could not do it. It would be very weird to do it without you. Frankly, it would be very, very strange. It would still be fun though. But um, we really appreciate your support. We appreciate you subscribing and listening and telling your friends and tweeting and Instagramming us and, and Facebooking us and all the rest of that stuff. And uh, if you want to go an extra yard in supporting the show, we have a Patreon. You can go to patreon.com, the movies that made me, and you can help support us. About once a month, we give our Patreon supporters some juicy, exclusive content. Right now, there's a good old uh, mailbag episode where, among other things, Joe and I go off on the Warner Brothers situation, uh, you know, the whole uh, Acme Coyote thing. Um, it's bad, folks. Uh, the situation, not not the mailbag. The mailbag's great. Um, and we also want you to take a minute and give some love to our wonderful sponsors. Many years now, they've been with us. We've been with them. We love them. They're the best. Moviesunlimited.com. If it's out there on physical media, and honest to God, at this point, if you're not exclusively using physical media, what is wrong with you? Um, they've got it. They've got it. So uh, they're MoviesUnlimited.com. They're the experts on movies since 1978. My gosh, they're older than I am. Don't know that they're going to believe that one, Joe. Uh, but click on the Movies Unlimited banner on our website or go directly to MoviesUnlimited.com. You can shop to your heart's content for hard-to-find films, imports, and more. You can also sign up to get their monthly printed catalog. It's a big old fat book with hundreds of movies at great prices. Um, and remember, shipping is always free on orders over $50. Where do they go, Joe? Go now to MoviesUnlimited.com, the movie collector's website, where shipping is always free on orders over $50, unless you live in Australia. 
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Up next, uh, uh, wow, what a, this is this is uh, Joe movie. You're uh, I think you've heard of uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I'm sure so many people say that's their favorite movie. It is so well, it's it's just, such it's an such incredible. Pure oh yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. It's just one of those things where you're just like, I just can't believe that this was pulled off. Like it's just so spectacular. And uh there's such joy in it. But I think that the thing that really uh uh I mean the whole thing is so moving to me because it somehow manages to feel like the life that we live. Like it feels like the reality, even though, of course, the the setup is so fantasy, yeah. right? The war boys being like, you know, like you know, like they spray, you know, they spray chrome. My thing is like, well, that actually feels so much like uh, the young men of now too. So I think there is a way in which that you just, um, I just, don't, I don't know, I just feel so connected to it as it. I think it really does speak to uh, who we are and where we are. And um, the part of it that really uh, moves me is when we see those old women with the seeds, right? And they're on a little, the coolest little like motorcycles. And they're so, you know, they're like old, old you know, elderly women who are just like, has these like beautiful grays and wrinkled faces. And they're just, they're holding on to these seeds, dreaming of a day where they can plant it, right? And my thing is like, that to me just moves me so much. But that, I don't think that that could have, uh, hit us so hard if it wasn't for the fact that we're fully bought into this world and we have seen the way that this world completely reflects the world that we live now you know well it's such a hopeless world that they're in and then to come across these characters who are actually holding on to a physical manifestation of hope that you buy oh, into along with it's them, so brave know? it's so com- yeah. it's a complete face of bravery and You've been watching, I mean, I watched it on IMAX like three times, but like, you know, like we saw it, see it on IMAX and you see this incredible motorcycle chases, these trucks flying out, like the incredible electric, you know, the, the metal guy, like, yeah. the guitar player who I will just never overcome because that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. And like, you just spend like the whole film, just it's so loud. It's so fast. It is so much. And then there's this amazing moment where on the IMAX, you just see a close-up of this woman's face, right? And she's not even saying anything. I think she just like looks at the camera. And I think that when you see her after, you know, being completely in a way battered by the sound and everything, and you see the complete peacefulness of this woman, of this face of hope, right? And it's, by the way, it's easy for the face of hope to be children, right? But like the fact that the, piece, that the face of hope is this elderly woman who's been holding on to forever, it just moves me point. so much. I was just, I was yeah. just like fully crying. I was like, ah, like just like, <laughs> so, you know, that's the kind of thing that makes me cry. I'm just like, I don't know. I always say like the children, the truth is children can't, don't usually make me cry. It's the, it's the, it's the elderly who make me cry. Cause I think that it is so hard to be hard to hold on to hope for that long. Children, what do they know? You know, like, <laughs> it's, it's easy for them, you know, like they don't yeah. know anything. Yeah. So, but when you are, um, when you have a lot of age, uh, when you ha- are, you are much older and then you're able to then, uh, I don't know that you're able to, uh, you know, uh, still be able to believe in something like what a moving thing that is, you know, I love that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. It's, it's, um, there, there's a great, have you read, uh, the, there's a wonderful book. It's yes. kind of an oral history. Oh my God. My editor gave it to me as a, as a edit, like a post room rep rap present. And I was just like. You get me, friend. You get me. <laughs> you get me, Keith. <laughs> I have a wonderful picture. Have I showed you this, Joe? What my my uh, my wife and I um, uh, adopted a child um, now 20, 20 months ago, and we had to spend three weeks in a hotel where he was born in St. Louis, waiting for the legal paperwork to come through. So it was just lo- us locked in a room, and and I realized I had not brought. You know, you're supposed to read to a child. Just read anything. Start reading. And I had been. I was in the middle of that book. And so every, whenever he was sort of up and around, I mean, this, this kid's 
a day old, three days old, five days old as we're going. I was reading him the making of Fury Road book. <laughs> I have a wonderful picture <laughs> of him lying next so to the good. book, which I need to show Joe. I love it. <laughs> I used to remember that the, 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 stunt, the stunt guy, there's a couple of stunt, there's a stunt man and a stunt woman who mm-hmm. meet and fall in love as they're choreographing the scene where their characters are trying to kill each other. Oh, excellent. <laughs> Excellent it's stuff. so good. It's so good. Um, I'm going to mangle that because, and I've I've seen this film, but I'm going to mangle it. Uh, maybe the the Dennis Villeneuve film. Yeah, I think How it's Incendies. Incendies. That's what I was going to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I'm making um, that up. I don't know. If that's true. I, I could be too. Well, sorry uh, to your listeners. Sorry to your listeners if they're right. grossly offended by the way that we're butchering the name of this film. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, tell us about that. Another one. You saw this in theaters. Was the theaters? Um, I think that the way that I felt about it, and I think that it was like it was like replaying somewhere. It wasn't at the time that it came out, but I was watching it, and I think that the feeling I had uh, for it is that, again, it is so uh, committed to this following this story of this woman, right? And you're just following through, and you're not fully sure where it's going to go next ever, right? There is a kind of an amazing way that the tension is being held uh, for what is uh, she going through. And you actually don't know uh, the meaning of the things that she's going through until the end. And I think that the, the most remarkable part of this film is this, the moment of revelation. I go back to this scene all the time uh, whenever I think about getting the performance for a revelation. Um, because it's, I think it's the truest representation of revelation that I've ever seen. Um, of like the you know the truth dawning on the daughter because the daughter realizes the terrible secret of about uh, her birth and her life in the film, and when she, uh, what's amazing is that it it takes a minute, right? You watch it sort of dawn on her what has happened, and then she lets out a completely animal gasp, and it's it's animal. Like it does not sound quite like a human is making this sound, this otherworldly sound. But there is a thing where you're just there with her and it's hit for me. Uh, and in, in the way I was watching it, it hit for me around the same time. I think almost as she was gasping. I think honestly, the silence that comes before the animal gasp, I realized. And I had let out a similar sound. And then it was followed by her gasp which I was so blown away by because the performance is so beautiful, right? And the fact that you can pull off a magic trick like that, right? Yes. Where I realized the, the revelation, I, it was revealed to me. And then moments later, it happens to the character and we're both sharing in that horrible, horrible revelation. I think that it just, I don't know, I, I just admire it so much what uh, he was able to pull off with that actress, but also what he was able to craft in me, right? Because, and then, because the whole time you're watching a movie and you're like, what is this all going to amount to? Like, what is this? Where are we going? Like, okay, there was that scene. Interesting. Why was that scene happening? Why is there a tattoo on, her, on the baby's foot? Like, why is there this? Why is there that? And then you start to piece the puzzle together and it's happening live, right? It's not happening where it's like, like, because usually like, you know, I'm a, I'm a writer all my life, you know, like, you know, I listen to and watch every story, everything. Story is like, we all, we all get it. Like, it's so easy for us sometimes to be like, oh, that's what's going to happen. You know, like, that's what's going to happen next. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, that's all leading to, okay, it's, it led to that. Oh, I, I bet something's going to happen to that character, right? Like, I recently could tell in a TV show that a character was going to die just because of this one beat there was in the episode two. I was like, I, was like, I bet he'll die in the finale. Like literally, I was like, and guess what? He does die at the finale, you know? Did he so, cough? He probably coughed, right? He definitely That's always coughed. a sign. Nobody coughs he, in the But also <laughs> the, the happiness happened too early in the season. Oh. Right? Like oh. the joy of something happened too early in the season. And you're like, why is it, why are they happy already? Like. <laughs> I tried. That's going to happen, find, right? I've, I've worked really hard at this because I, I know people, you know, are. Um, I find the more they're not, the more they don't write or, or make film, the more kind of 
pleasure they take in telling you things like this. You know, they're like the sixth sense, like, oh, I saw it coming. I'm like, oh, wow, I, I didn't. And I enjoyed it. But I, I have worked very hard on turning off those parts of my brain because mm-hmm. nothing, I would much rather be surprised. Yeah. Than to see it coming. There's still stuff. Like if you cough, I'm just like, oh, come on, I can't ignore that. But, um, <laughs> but my wife, who's so not obvious. in the business, yeah. still has that thing and she's always seeing stuff coming and we have this rule. I'm like, don't, don't say it to me. Don't say it to me. <laughs> yeah, don't talk I'll, about I'll it. I'll know you're right. I will know you're right. We can wow. talk about it afterwards. I do it all the time. I, I, I do it to my husband all the time and he's always like, oh. you know, like, oh, he's, no. <laughs> he's always like, God damn it, you know? <laughs> um, but I think it's like we can, but I think some of that is like the part of the, but, but I think that's really how I felt about Incendies because I feel like when I was yeah. watching it, I was seeing I was, of course, trying to put the puzzle together right. and the puzzle wouldn't make sense for so much of it. I'd be like, I don't know why this piece isn't fitting there. Okay, so it's not going there. Okay, it's not that. Oh, this is not what I expected. So, so much of that is happening throughout. And when you realize that the whole, it's missing a really, really horrible piece. <laughs> you know? the, the worst piece I can, I didn't even think that was going to be possible. When that piece comes together, Right. And then the, and I let out a gasp. And then literally milliseconds later, she let out a gasp. And the gasp was this incredible performance of like animal horror. I was just like completely, I'm just in so, so much awe of it. Like, I just think it's like put together so beautifully. Like, it's, it kind of like doesn't matter the rest of the movie or like whatever. I'm just like, I'm just blown away by uh, how I was able to be kept in the dark until I really needed to be in the light, right? That's amazing, yeah. So now cool. you're kind of bonded oh, to the film emotionally. I feel, I feel fully trauma bonded by the, to the film. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yep, yeah, it is, it's just like now I will never forget the face of that actress because I just think mm-hmm. it's, a, it's one of the best piece performance I've ever seen, you know, of, of anything. So I feel like when there is a revelation, to me, that's the, that's the textbook, right? It's like, and of course her revelation is so, uh, uh, so dramatic and so awful, but that's the, but that it has to feel that, uh, that human. Cause when I say animal, I mean human, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, well, moving into lighter territory, uh, I was surprised. <laughs> I'm not, it's so funny. I'm not the giant Tom Cruise fan, but. Really? Yeah. Edge of tomorrow, man. Edge of Tomorrow. You love movies and you don't love the <laughs> man who loves movies the most? Come on, Josh. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep most of it to myself. The, um, <laughs> but yeah, Edge of Tomorrow. Uh, I got to say Edge of Tomorrow and, and um, a Collateral are probably my favorite. Mm-hmm. Okay. Collateral because I think he's playing the quintessential Tom Cruise character, but Michael Mann has contextualized him. So that you realize that character is a complete sociopathic maniac, which is right. I think why I like it. But, but Edge of Tomorrow, I'm I'm I was so startled. I can't remember how I ended up seeing it, and I yeah. did not expect. But yeah, and then and that's funny. I didn't expect this on your list either. It's, yeah. Well, hold on. So did you did you love it or were you like? Just yeah. Like, oh yeah. No, I think it's great. I think it's great. Although at the end of the day, I feel like I just sat and watched Tom Cruise play a video game for two hours because I mean, the yeah. killer's character was bad. <laughs> True. Uh, but I think, I think that I think in some ways true, but I think what I love about it, like if you told me that, if, if you wanted me to uh, put it on right now, I would just would. Right. I'm sure. like yeah. every plane. I'm just like, I, so I just watch it tomorrow again. There's something about this movie that I think that because the amazingly the writing and the mechanic of the film and the way that the story goes is so tight, which is really wild. But I think, in that way, I was something that really expanded something for me is that like you can have really rigorous writing, right? In this otherwise completely vast sci-fi action situation with Tom Cruise. Yeah. And yeah. of course, it's being held together by, I think, completely Tom Cruise's performance. Like as he goes through uh, his uh, emotions, right? And mm-hmm. so as he becomes somebody who you know, like, because when you meet him, he's supposed to be a piece of shit, right? He's supposed to be like such a, like an annoying guy and like kind of the worst kind of a guy. Like, I think he's like a PR person, right? So it's like, you're seeing this somebody who's just like, who's like, I'm a marketer, right? And you just like, we all show up and we're like, we don't like this guy. And then you see him go through like, 
like 10,000 lifetimes, right? 10,000 deaths. He dies over and over and over and over again until he becomes somebody who is, who is capable of uh, something so deep, right? Like love, like empathy, like uh, total care. And also he is, right. uh, he is able to build on the trauma of that and is able to eventually take care of this person that he ends up caring about. And I think that when you see that journey, I feel like he is so good in actually tracking that journey in his performance. Because the mm. man that you meet in the beginning is not the same man you meet at the, at the, at the end. Meanwhile, I think the, you know, the, the writing of it, the Jess Butterworth and, the, and uh, McCurry script, I think the I don't know I don't know how the script got to put together because of course these movies go through a lot of rewrites. I know the guy who wrote the original story and didn't oh, hey. and didn't get credit. Oh, he got aced out of the credit, but he actually wrote the original story. And uh, and it's a, it, if if it hadn't had that title, I think it might have mm-hmm. done a lot better because it sounds it's it sounds so generic. It sounds like everybody's seen it, or it sounds like a soap opera, or it sounds like- Soap opera, yeah. You know, because there yeah. was a soap I, opera I hear you. Edge of Night. I it, hear you, but it's, but it's like a, it's like a, you know what it is? It's like a, it's like a play title. So I have some affection yeah. for it. Because like, if it was a play, it would be called that. Do you know what I mean? Right. Because right. it's not trying to be like, it doesn't have the same marketing um, needs as a, as a movie in theater. So Edge of Tomorrow is, uh, is, is what's true about the movie. But I think that you're right. It reads like it's not quite I mean, it's, it's, it's a good title for a science fiction novel, but it's not a great title for a movie. <laughs> exactly. I think you're absolutely right. I think that's what we're talking about, yeah. right? I don't think Live, Die, Repeat is a good one either, though. They ended up putting out posters with that, that catchphrase lot bigger than the title, thinking that maybe oh. people will think that's the title, but that's not a good title either. No. <laughs> I mean, it's not a very good one. Well, wasn't it but, originally because it's based on it's based on a book, right? Called all a Japanese book called yes. "All You Need Is Kill." All you need is, and kill. that was like the that was the title for a hot minute. I remember, and then yeah, it just seemed yeah. like nobody could ever commit fully to a title, and that oh, was oh yeah, and that I mean, that uncertainty. Are they talking about doing and, a sequel? Maybe they are. I think they are. Uh, how do you do a sequel to that? I don't know. For a, I, I know. But it wasn't that successful. Maybe it happens so. again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, I think, day two. but I think that's the funny thing, though, because I feel like there, of course, there are so many action movies and sci-fi and all that that I can't rewatch because I'm like, well, it's just I just doesn't have the rewatchability. But this movie, I can. And I think that the reason why I can is because it is put together uh, so uh, like like a little clock. Right. So like every beat, right. And every new revelation, everything is just kind of like so tight that like I can sort of watch it like, um, like watching, like listening to a song. Right. Right. That is like, one also, of my in, in, in a weird way, songs. it's, yeah. it's, um, you know, by the time the movie's done, you've already rewatched it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> it okay. builds that in. Yeah. Uh, up next, I have not, it's the only movie on your list I have not seen and I also want to do is Computer Chess. Yes. Um, have you seen it? No, though? I haven't. No. So Computer Chess is this uh, movie that is uh, black and white and is, it looks like it's being shot on a camcorder that um, Andrew Brzezowski, uh made. And it's supposed to feel like, I would say it's like kind of like, um, it's like, it's like a mock documentary. Right, because it's like it's not even a fully, uh, and, and it's supposed to be kind of like a badly made mock documentary about this one uh, AI chess tournament, where um, all these computer guys are showing up with their uh, AIs that they programmed in their big computers, and then they are having uh, and it's a competition where all these computers uh, compete with each other for. Uh, chess prowess, right? <laughs> and it's a, and it's like a purely a tournament. It's such an amazing kind of a just a competition where it's like, well, my AI can play chess better than yours, right? And you get to meet the characters of um, this uh, particular time period in the beginning of uh, the life of AI, right? Where it's like it was still something that you just like a few nerdy people were just like coding, right, into into existence. And there is so much, uh, there's a kind of magical realism in it. And there is a way in which that we get to see it as a bit of a, a very, very uh, grounded character study. 
And there is a actually some almost a fantastical element to it because um, just like the nature of AI and especially AI of, of this time, um, it is it, there's so much that is unknown. Again, it's about the mystery of uh, what it is like to program a computer to do something, right? And there are hints of it. It is, of course, being made uh, closer to now. I think this was being made in the 2010s, I want to say. Is this true? Hold on. Let me just look. Computer chess. I remember, I remember reading about it enough that I yeah, really want to see it and sort of never. 2013, <laughs> right? So 2013, uh, this in, in, and it's set in the 1980s. So in 2013, it's built into this 1980s uh, film, like it's a, it's a setting, um, all that is to come about AI in the future. So there is a question of like, well, using this for weapons, right? Or using this for uh, mining humans. There is a way in which that, like everything that we were dealing with in 2013 when this movie came out, um, that is kind of woven into uh, this movie, Computer Chess. And I think that in it is just, uh, there are just like parts of it where it's like, and because it's also 1980, like there is a um, uh, kind of like trans uh, transhuman uh, kind of like the, the movement that is actually a part of uh, the whole movie because it's this competition is happening in a hotel, like hotel conference room. And there's another conference room at the same hotel where they're having a fully trans transhuman, like, uh, you know, transcendental philosophy, Eastern philosophy uh, conference at the same time. So those two worlds start to melt together in it. Anyway, it's an amazing movie. You should see it. I think it's, it is so, uh, it's already prescient. Like it was about in the 1980, it's being prescient for 1913, as of 2013. And then now, 10 years from there, you can see how this movie that was made in 2013 about 1980 is prescient about AI and where we are uh, in our humanity now. I don't know. It's one of those. It's one of those amazing achievements that I think that is like, um, and also so, something that I learned from that. And I think that it's it's what made me feel like, oh, like this expands what I believe about filmmaking is that the form of it, which is this bad black and white camcorder, it plays such a massive part in telling the story. So the form of how they how he made it, and at first you're just like this is so stressful because like, you know, like, cause it's like, cause it's intentionally so jerky and like, it's black and white, it's grainy. Right. Everything is like, it's a, all like a little bit w more frustrating and a little worse than you want it to be. Right. And there is a way in which you know, you're trying to gleam through the small black and white screen to understand what's happening in it. Right. But then you realize as the movie goes on that actually that form uh, isn't just there to be to be cute. That form is actually speaking to what the whole movie is about, right? Mm. And actually, the graininess you get to experience in some in some weird way, it is a lot spooky. It's almost like a there's a part of where it feels like a horror film, where it's there's nothing not real horror happening, but whatever magical realism that's in it because it's black and white and grainy and looks like it's like a shot on a home camcorder you kind of feel like the, you feel more haunted by it than if it was shot on um, any other medium. So anyway, all that to say, this was just me advocating for everybody to see this movie. <laughs> yeah, no, I remember wanting to see it at the time, did, didn't get to it. And then, you know, a decade goes by and it hasn't come up in a long time. And yeah. I'm, I'm just making a note uh, to, to make sure I see it. I'm also like- You have to try to find it first. And I remember seeing, you had to find it. Yeah, no, it's out. There's a Blu-ray of it, hilariously. Really? I mean, I love it. <laughs> yeah, which seems that's crazy. <laughs> counterintuitive. <laughs> oh, Prime Video has it. There. Oh, oh Prime. Ha Prime has a lot of stuff. Yeah. Prime has it. Prime has, yeah. and, it's, and it's included uh, with Prime. Right. So, so it'll it'll be good with commercials. <laughs> yes. Um, next up, oh God, I love this film, and I am not. I'm I'm always not that I don't like his other films, but I'm always kind of. There's always a distance for me with Charlie Kaufman films. And I think Synecdoche is the one that most people, even the ones who love him, don't like. And that's the one I love. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, well, and you too. <laughs> I think I feel exactly the same way. Because I think that the reason yeah. why I think that sometimes uh, Charlie Kaufman's uh, films are, I find them to be misunderstood is because um, he is smarter than everybody else. 
And I think that those are mo movies that are uh, harder to love because if the filmmaker is so evident that the filmmaker is smarter than everybody else, then I think that it is yeah. really, um, it's really hard to feel uh, connected to it because the whole time you're just like, I bet the filmmaker thinks I'm not as smart as him. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so this is why Perfectly I think, put. Yeah. Yes. But I think that's, but I think that's the, but I think this is the movie where I think that I feel like uh, the, the kind of the, uh, the mis mysterious stupidity, which I think is, has to be a part of uh, every film. And that's how I feel about every single film that is on this list. There is a part of it where if I should go through every single uh, movie on this list, I would say that there is a, there's a, mis there's a mysterious stupidity in it, where it's like there's some part of it you're like, that is so stupid. It is such a stupid <laughs> conceit. It is so dumb. This is so not intelligent, right? And in that, there is a complete mystery in it. Right. Right. And it's yeah. like there's a there's a brutishness in the in the in the stupidity of it that really I think that uh, lets us uh, accept the uh, accept the mystery that is this movie and of course this life. And I think that Snickpick in New York has that amazing thing. That ending is one of the most mysterious endings I've ever watched. Right. And I don't even know where to begin. Like you know how like when a movie has a a uh, great ending and then people want to go online and they'd be like, what was the meaning of that ending, right? right? I don't even know where to begin with this movie, right? Because the truth is that like, it is so existential. It is so yeah. connected to like actual identity and being and existential with a capital E that um, you know that the mystery there is like just purely the mystery of life, right? It's purely the mystery of this uh, one person's life that we can all feel connected to. And I actually, um, uh, one of the, I went to school for, uh, I went to school for psychology, but I also, uh, I was my minoring in philosophy. And while I was learning doing my, you know, the classes in postmodernism, I, there is this one uh, philosopher, Paul Bucur, who has this thing, uh, where he believes that the, he believes in the narrative theory of the self, where he says that all the self is, is a story that you tell about yourself. And then, which is interacting with the way that the whole world tells a story about you, right? Yeah. So it exists somewhere where those two things are aligned. And madness or uh, outsiderness comes from when the story that you tell about yourself and the story that the world tells about you are not aligned, right? So that's where the self is confused. So, and then you can say that about every, everything. So for example, yeah. if I speak English, like the way that I'm going to be tell um, the story of the self has to be uh, in English. And in that, there's a, there are rules in the language of English that I am subscribing to um, in telling of the self. And in my situation, I actually speak, because I, I'm bilingual and I speak Korean, I also have the self that I tell in Korean that I think that is also uh, in, in some ways the same, but is in some ways different. And those two languages are going to interact until there is a self that I can myself alone agree on. Now, the way that I can agree on myself in me, right, is going to then interact with the way that the world sees, right, right. tells a story about me. And right now, like, you know, like I'm sharing past lives and going around. And the thing is, it's like, you know, sometimes like I'm just like on the red carpet and someone's asking me about what it's like to be an Oscar nominee, right? And there is an amazing thing where I'm like, I just am reminded that there is a narrative that is being told about me that I just right. forgot to incorporate <laughs> into my own narrative of myself, right? And then you're like, right, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah. Of course, that is the self. That is the self that yeah. we're interacting with. And I think that Synecdoche in New York is a movie where I think that it is quite literally about that space between... Um, the story that you tell about yourself and then the story that mm -hmm. the world tells about you and the way that those two things crash into each other. And it all results in uh, something that completely uh, gives birth to a new thing in this movie anyway. Pillow Seymour Hoffman's performance is so incredible because he lives in the ambiguity. Right, it's, it's unbelievable in this film. And it's one of the most subtle, complicated performances I've ever seen. And it's because it's clear that that character that Phil Simon Hoffman plays is completely unsure. I don't even know how he pulled it off. Is completely uh, living through contradictory ideas about himself, 
and he's making art about himself while being himself and while the world outside of his art and his life is telling a different story about the self. And all of those things have to reconcile until the ending, (laughs) right? And then you see the ending and and you're like, and it's really unclear um, where where it ended up, but it did end up somewhere in between, right? And it's also sort of built in too, because in the ending, I won't give anything like wood, but when she whispers into his ear, it's it's almost like it's it's I mean, I burst into tears the first time I saw that, but it's um it's it's kind of like it's okay. You don't have to you don't have to figure this out. You don't have to get all the answers yeah. and, and you can go now. It's like Well, life is a process, right? It's it's really yeah. about life is a process, right? And even yeah. in death there is process. And I think that's so yeah. moving to me. It's just more it's more I cry in this movie too. Someone asked me recently, I'm like, what do you cry? What, what the last movie you cried at? And I was just like, I can't remember. But I think my example ended up being something like, I forget what it was. Um, I genuinely can't remember. Oh, oh uh, in Spider-Verse, when uh, Miles Morales says, uh, I'm just going to do me, right? Mm-hmm. Like that moves me. But, yeah. you know, usually most things don't uh, move, me, move me in this way. But similarly here, Snake to New York is one of those movies that was just like weeping at the end. And you're like, why? Yeah. <laughs> like, why? Yeah. Well, because of the kind of the impossibility of living, right? Because it's about impossibility of living. It's very, it's very Camus. It's very like, how do you live? You know, like, how is living possible? Yeah. Um, anyway, okay. And it's funny because yeah, it does. It feels to me like just a, a towering work, and and I can't imagine how frustrating it would have been to have made that and have the response to be, you know, it was not the usual response to a Charlie Coffin film. Not like any of their massive hits. But usually, people love them, and people were just like, eh. it's like, oh come on. But it's too mysterious. It's too strange. I think I yeah. love this movie, but I think it's like I think it's I genuinely I don't know who uh, how accessible it is, and I bet it's not that accessible. You know, yeah, I guess. <laughs> it sounds like yeah. it's not. Yeah. 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 It's very special to me. Um, Celine, we've only done nine, but I'm told we have to let you out of here in 60 seconds. Okay. So um, I don't know. Just tell us the name of the other picture. <laughs> it's a great one, too. She was going to do Children of Men. Oh, it's, it's such a great movie. Yeah. Do you have, do you have, <laughs> I can tell you, why don't we talk about it for like 40 seconds? Okay. Yeah. Go, go, go. I'm down. Well, yes. I think that, I think that, well, I think that what I, uh, what I love so much about this movie is that um, it is so uh, openly political and is so openly about the society that we live in, but still uh, every beat of it is even more so than anything else on this list, right? It's so openly that. And it Just is still like, weekend. so good, so <laughs> yeah. good. And the yeah. filmmaking of it is makes it possible for it to be completely under your skin. Right, because yeah. I think you can always run into being a movie that is this real about it, this real about this world that we live in. I think that it can be, it can result in people describing it as didactic, or people saying it's like it's too political, actually. But because of the power of the filmmaking in it, I think that I fully walk away, and people fully love this movie so as a it's movie. It's so kinetic. That's why. It's kinetic. That's a great word. It's kinetic, and you just know that this is just true. You know, yeah. like I fully believed everything that happened in it because it's like, well, it's, it's, it's got yeah. such high minded ideas. And at the same time, it's like, and now here's an amazing car chase. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and it's, it's an amazingly photographed car chase. It's, it's, yeah. it's, yeah. it's like the best car chase you've ever seen. And I'm like, and then you don't, uh, and it's also all going to be about something, right? Like the, the car chase is about something yeah. and the way it's shot yeah. is about something. So you're never going to walk yeah. away feeling like, well, that was a nice car chase. And you're like, no. It speaks to what the what he's going through. Like every piece of it is made with such complete uh, commitment and rigor that I am fully buying into this uh, out, you know, otherworldly uh, reality. And for me, it just feels it's one of those things where it looks it feels more real than real, right? Like I feel like I you could feel the world better because of this movie, and I love that about uh, this movie. Yes, well, that that was a great list, and you were a perfect guest. Yeah. Perfect. Thank yes. you Thank so you guys. much. Thank so much. This was such a blast. Me. This was so fun. And, um, oh. Yeah, no, I'm glad you think so. And uh um so but but congratulations again. Thank you. Good luck. Talking to Celine Song, who's who's nominated for Best Original Screenplay and our movie Past Lives nominated for Best Picture. And what a way to begin your your cinematic <laughs> career. It's uh 
Um, but but best of luck. And really, I'm, I'm sure you are. I Having spent an hour with you talking, I'm sure you're having a great time. But just, yeah, make sure you enjoy this. It's, uh, and, and go to all the parties. I will. Thank you so much, you guys. This was so fun. This was the most fun. The Movies That Made Me is the official podcast of Trailers From Hell, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. We are proud to be part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Learn more at airwavemedia.com. This is Josh Olsen for The Movies That Made Me. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.